Well, we are in the second week of our series that we've, we've entitled Next, Escaping the Past and Embracing the Future. As we know, we all have a past, right? There were good times in our past, and there were bad times in our past. There were good decisions, and there were bad decisions, right? There were, there were good haircuts and bad haircuts, right? We all have a past, right? There are good outfits, and then there were the outfits where you're like, what was I thinking, right? We all have a past. I remember <laughs> when I was starting uh, fifth grade, uh, my mom took me clothes shopping. And uh, mom, this is not about you. This is about me. So don't worry about it. But uh, we went clothes shopping. And, and I found a shirt that I just had to have. I had to have. It was white. And on the back, there was a skateboard. I had skateboard. But it was, it was rad, right? It was rad. I had to have the shirt. And I was going to show up on the first day of fifth grade. And I was going to be the envy of all my classmates, right? Fifth grade was going to be the birth of the brand new Cool and Jared, Lath uh, Jared Latham, right? It was just going to be the beginning of the, my future. The first day of school came, and I proudly put on that shirt, and I walked into school with my head held high. Didn't last long. You see, this was not a normal shirt. The only way I know how to describe this shirt is that it literally looked like you took a pillowcase and turned it into a T-shirt. Right, it, it hung. I'm. It had no fit. Like it just, it was a pillowcase. That's all it was, with holes cut out for arms and a neck. I thought it was cool. The kids let me know that it was very not cool. Right, and I never wore, wore that shirt again. I threw it in the closet and I forgot about it. Pastor Lane will tell you that she saved me from a life of horrible fashion. Anything that I wear today that is somewhat fashionable is because of my wife. Right. I, now, I still don't know what's wrong with a pillowcase shirt, but that's why I got married, so I don't have to wear those anymore. But our pasts are a mixed bag, right? And unfortunately, sometimes the past doesn't stay in the past. We all probably have those past decisions that we wish that we could forget. And so last week, we began the series by talking about how so many of us struggle to leave the past in the past so that we can fully embrace the future that Jesus has for us, right? We're called to lay down our past so that we can grab hold of the future. But that means we have to deal with those things in our past that are painful. And as you may know, most problems, right, don't just go away magically. They have to be dealt with. They have to be confronted. So often we want to avoid the problems in our lives. So often we want to pretend that the pain is not as bad as it is. Or we're afraid of the pain that we're gonna, have, we're gonna have to go through to deal with the things in our past. And it's even harder when those painful things in our past are the fault of others. Those events in life where we respond with, with that's not fair. It's just not fair. I think most of us, have had those moments in our lives where we have exclaimed, it's not fair. It's just not fair. I've shared some of those moments in my own life, right? But I, I know I'm not alone in this. I mean, I can think of a lot of unfair things in my family. My mom, her only sibling, a brother, died when he was 23 and she was 13. My paternal grandfather was born with physical deformities and had serious medical issues from the 1970s until his death in 97. Pastor 
Pastor Lean's parents are some of the finest Christian people I've ever known. And yet they are continuously taken advantage of by, by people simply because they're so loving and trusting. It's just not fair. My wife has experienced plenty of unfair times in her life. It's just not fair. That's what I want us to talk about. Dealing with those unfair things in our lives. So if you have your Bible, let's go to the Old Testament book of Job. Because I know none of you memorize my sermons, I want to give you a little nugget that you should be able to remember when you leave here. And I need to give my father credit for teaching me this. And maybe your parents taught you the same thing. When I was growing up, anytime I, anytime I said, that's not fair, my father would reply with, life's not fair, right? Anyone else have a parent that would tell you that life's not fair? And so that's my sermon in a nugget for you today. Life's not fair, all right? But you still got to listen, all right? So I'm not going to stop there. I think we need to wrestle with this subject a little bit. The book of Job is one of those books of the Bible that a lot of folks struggle with. It's a book all about those things that we consider to be unfair. We could be doing everything right in our life, but that doesn't protect us from unfair events. So before we read this, let me ask you a question. What is the unfair thing in your life that has begun popping into your mind as we've talked about this so far? What is that event that has popped into your mind while I've been talking? That unfair thing that you've been wrestling with. And I want you to know, if it's popped into your mind, it's not by accident. Because I believe the Holy Spirit is talking to you right now and telling you that you have not dealt with that event. But now is the time to begin dealing with it. And so whatever is in your mind, I want you to hold on to that thought as we go through this sermon. Right? Maybe you've been mistreated. Maybe uh, someone treated you unfairly. Something happened in your life that you consider it to be unfair. So what is it for you? If you're thinking of something right now, hold on to it as we begin dealing with it. So let's look at the book of Job, starting in chapter 1, verse 1. It says this. There was a man, there once was a man named Job, who lived in the land of Uz. Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. He owned 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 teams of oxen, and 500 female donkeys. He also had many servants. He was, in fact, the richest person in that area. Now, I want you to see that first verse again. There once was a man named Job who lived in the land of Uz. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. Now, I know I can be... Um, rather blunt in my sermons from time to time, so forgive me if this seems to be a bit blunt, but I want to ask you, is it possible for you to substitute Job's name for your own in that sentence? Obviously, you're not from the land of Uz, but, you know, everything else there. For instance, can I honestly say there once was a man named Jared who lived in the land of Marietta. He was blameless, a man of complete integrity. He feared God and stayed away from evil. I could say that, but my parents are here and they would correct me. Can you substitute Job's name with your own and know that no one's going to laugh in your face? Probably not. But Job could. Right? Job was the real deal, church. 
He loved God with all his heart, mind, soul, and strength. This is the guy that every parent of a daughter wants for a son-in-law. I would love for my three girls to marry a man who is blameless, has complete integrity, and stays away from evil. And my wife and I will do everything in our power to make sure that happens. But I know that no matter how great their husband might be, he'll probably have some regrets from his past. Because we're all fallen people, aren't we? We're all messed up. Now, that's not a permission-giving statement, but it is a statement of fact. We mess up. Some of you messed up this morning, probably. But Job, this guy was the man, right? He was blameless. And yet, Job would go through things that we would say were completely unfair. Especially for a man who did everything right. Now, I don't want to belabor the point, but it is imperative for us to understand that no matter, uh, no, matter no, no amount of, of right behavior will protect any of us from some unfair things in life. If it can happen to a man like Job, it can happen to us. But I think most of us, or many of us, have a pretty inflated self-image. Right? We think we are better and more important than we actually are. How do I know this? Because often when others are going through something they think is unfair, we say things to them like, well, that's life. Or life's not fair. But when it's us going through something unfair, oh, we're going to burn it all down, aren't we? It doesn't matter how rich you are. It doesn't matter how good looking you are. It doesn't matter how, what sun vision you live in. It doesn't matter how popular you are. You are going to experience things in life that you will want to call unfair. It might be something small or it might be something that has the potential to tear your life apart. But we all experience those unfair things. And the sooner we accept that, the easier it will be to deal with those situations. Because again, no amount of right living is going to keep you from all harm. Look back at the first chapter of Job in verse 6. It says, One day the members of the heavenly court came to present themselves before the Lord, and the accuser, Satan, came with them. Where have you come from, the Lord asked Satan. Satan answered the Lord, I've been patrolling the earth, watching everything that goes on. Then the Lord asked Satan, Have you noticed my servant Job? He is the finest man in all the earth. He is blameless, a man of complete integrity. He fears God and stays away from evil. And Satan replied to the Lord, Yes, but Job has good reason to fear God. You've always put a wall of protection around him and his home and his property. You've made him prosper in everything he does. Look how rich he is. But reach out and take away everything he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. All right. You may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. Let me explain to you what's happening here. Satan is saying that the only reason that Job is faithful is because God has protected him. But as soon as Job faces some pain, Satan believes he will instantly rebuke God. It appears Satan has met some humans before. Whether a person is a Christian or not, when we declare something unfair, we often uh, point the finger in one way, right? We either point the finger at God, if we believe in a God, or we point the finger at whatever higher power might exist out there, right? We, we just blame the universe. The universe had it in for us. But Satan knows very well that when humans suffer, we instantly, immediately want to blame someone, and often that someone 
is God, right? And if anyone had a right to blame God here, it would be Job. In one day, church, hear this. In one day, Job lost his livestock, most of his servants, and all of his children. In one day. Now, I've had some pretty bad days in my life, but I could never imagine a day like that. I mean, maybe you've had a day when your life just fell apart, right? You had a day when just everything fell apart, a day when your world just seemed to just crumble around you, a day when you felt that you have lost everything. And maybe you did lose everything. Maybe you had to declare bankruptcy. Maybe you lost your savings in 2008. But the day Job had, I think it takes the cake. All his livestock gone. Most of his servants gone. All of his children gone. How was that fair? He was a blameless man. How was it fair? I mean, surely Job shook his fist at God. Surely Job wrote an angry screed on his Facebook page. Or maybe made a quick TikTok video complaining about God, right? That he surely he was mad at God. Because that's what so many of us would do. Well, we might not do it uh, clearly, like we, we would hide a little bit, but we might not we might not write the words, I'm so mad at God, but we post things that communicate to other people that we blame God for the pain in our lives. But notice what Job did. In verse 20, Job stood up, tore his robe in grief, then shaved his head, and then fell to the ground to worship. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. In all of this, Job did not sin by blaming God. Now, in one way, Job's response is completely understandable. He responded uh, to the grief he felt in a very real way. This is important. Job did not lose all of his monopoly money. He lost his entire wealth. He didn't please, uh, misplace his kids in Target. Every one of his kids were killed. We must understand this because if we don't, then we could just dismiss his response. We could lessen his loss in order to explain his response to God. But we need to try to wrap our minds around the hell that he must have been walking through. He was dealing with unimaginable grief. He stood up and he tore his robe in grief. He allowed himself to feel the grief, but he did not allow the grief to lead him to sin, which is what so many of us often do. Right? We want to mask the pain, and so we start drinking or doing drugs. We want to avoid the pain, and so we engage in actions that bring us pleasure. Even though anger is one of the stages of grief, we allow that anger to cause us to lash out at friends or family or God. But not Job. Job felt real grief, but he did not sin. On one hand, we have a very typical human reaction to unfair events. Then we have a response that is pretty abnormal in moments of grief and mourning. Look at verse 21 again. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb, and I will be naked when I leave. The Lord gave me what I had, and the Lord has taken away. Praise be the name of the Lord. 
Notice what he's doing. He is acknowledging who he is and also acknowledging who God is. See, Job is very well aware of who he is. He is no different from you and me, assuming you were born naked. Job understood. That was a joke, folks. Uh, Job understood that he came into the world with nothing. And he isn't going to be able to take anything with him when he leaves this world. While there are storage units on every corner in Marietta, there's not a single one in heaven. I doubt our room in the Father's house even has a closet. Why do you need stuff, right, when you're in the very presence of the living God? We're not taking anything with us, church. Now, while that might break your heart, it should actually open the door to living a life of great freedom. See, if I grab a handful of sand and hold that sand in a death grip and try not to lose any of that sand, I'm going to be pretty frustrated and disappointed when some of that sand falls out of my hand because that's not what I wanted. But if I grab that sand and leave my hands open, I'm not going to be too upset when some of the sand falls out of my hand. So I'm not talking about not taking life seriously. I'm talking about understanding that nothing on this side of heaven is guaranteed. And you know the old joke, except for death and taxes, right? But nothing's guaranteed. Job understood this. He knew who he was. But he makes it clear that he also knew who God is. The Lord gave me what I had. And the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. Job makes it clear here that everything he has comes from the Lord. Which means it belonged to the Lord first. See, you cannot give what you do not have. And since he gives, he can take away. Now, if Job left it here, we might say, well... How is that fair? What, what if I like what he gave me and don't want to lose it? What if I was enjoying my life and I didn't want it, it, didn't want it to change? But Job didn't stop there. See, Job is that with praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. I think we throw the title of Lord around too much without truly embracing what it means. If he is Lord, it means we are his subjects. It means we submit to him. We surrender to him. Now hear this clearly. He does not become our Lord through force. He becomes the Lord of our lives through our surrender. But when we truly surrender our lives to him, it means we trust Jesus no matter what even when we don't understand what's happening all around us. Now let me say something. I want to be very clear about this because I've heard too many people misunderstand what happened to Job. I want you to understand this, church. God did nothing to Job. Okay? God did not kill his children. God did not kill his livestock. God did not kill his servants. But God allowed it. Now, we could spend days talking about why God allowed it. But to be completely honest to you, there are things that happen in our lives that we will never understand until we have a chance to ask Jesus ourselves in heaven. All right? I don't know why children are abused. 
I don't know why some parents have to bury their children. I don't know why a 65-year-old beats cancer, but a 5-year-old doesn't. I don't know why dishonest people can become millionaires while good and honest people struggle to put food on the table. I don't have the answer for those things. To me, it all seems very unfair. However, my lack of knowledge does not change who the Lord is. If God did everything I wanted him to do, then he would not be God. I would be God. And trust me, you do not want me to be God. You'd be, you would fire me the very first day. I would not make a good God. And neither would you. But when we claim something isn't fair, we are essentially declaring that we know more than God. We are declaring we know the future better than God does. And trust me, God is not the biggest fan of that type of attitude. Because he makes it abundantly clear to Job later in the book. It's something I like to call the great smackdown. Look in chapter 38. I'm going to read the entire chapter. Chapter 38. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man. Because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me, if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundation? Who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy? Who kept the sea inside its boundaries as it burst from the womb? And as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness, for I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores, I said, this far and no farther will you come. Here your proud waves must stop. Have you ever commanded the morning to appear and caused the dawn to rise in the east? Have you made daylight spread to the ends of the earth to bring an end to the night's wickedness? As the light approaches, the earth takes shape like clay pressed beneath a seal. It is robed in brilliant colors. The light disturbs the wicked and stops the arm that is raised in violence. Have you ever explored the springs from which the seas come? Have you explored their depths? Do you know where the gates of death are located? Have you seen the gates of utter, utter doom? Do you realize the extent of the earth? Tell me about it if you know. Where does light come from? And where does darkness go? Can you take each to its home? Do you know how to get there? But of course, you know all of this. For you were born before it was all created, and you are all, and you are so very experienced. Have you visited the storehouses of the, the snow or seen the storehouses of hail? I have reserved them as weapons for the time of trouble, for the day of battle and war. Where is the path to the source of light? Where is the home of the east wind? Who created a channel for the torrents of rain? Who laid out the path for the lightning? What makes the rain fall on barren land in a desert where no one lives? Who sends rain to satisfy the parched ground and make the tender grass spring up? Does the rain have a father? Who gives birth to the dew? Who is the mother of the ice? Who gives birth to the frost from the heavens? For the water turns the ice as hard as rock, and the surface of the water freezes. Can you direct the movement of the stars? Binding the cluster of the, uh, of the Pleiades or loosening the cords of Orion? Can you direct the constellations through the seasons or guide the bear with her cubs across the heavens? Do you know the laws of the universe? Can you use them to regulate the earth? 
Can you shout to the clouds and make it rain? Can, can you make lightning appear and cause it to strike you, uh, strike as you direct? Who gives intuition to the heart and, and, and instincts to the mind? Who is wise enough to count all the clouds? Who can tilt the water jars of heaven when the parched ground is dry and the soil has hardened into clods? Can you stalk prey for a lioness and satisfy the young lion's appetites as they lie in their dens or crouch in the thicket? Who provides food for the ravens when their young cry out to God and wander about in hunger? Church, that is what you call a smackdown. But God wasn't finished. He continues in the next chapter. We're not going to read that today, but you can read it in chapter 39. The point is clear. God is looking at Job and looking at us and asking, who do you think you are? And who do you think I am? And that's the rub. See, our understanding of fairness hinges on whom we think we are and whom we think God is. Our understanding of what is fair is often tied to our understanding of the full picture. And guess what? You don't have the full picture. You don't know what God wants to do with your pain and your brokenness. While God is not the one who hurt you, he is the one who can redeem what was done to you. Amen. He can turn your lowest point into a light on a hill for him. Amen. It doesn't mean you can't grieve what was done to you. It doesn't mean you can't be angry at what was done to you. But as Jesus followers, we are called to give it over to God even when we don't understand it. After all, that is exactly what Jesus did. Isn't it? Right before Jesus was arrested, he went to the garden to pray. And I love that the Bible includes this little bit of information. It's found in the 26th chapter of Matthew. Jesus is praying about what is about to happen to him. And he says this in verse 39. He went on a little farther, bowed with his face to the ground, saying, My father... If it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. This was the very Son of God. God in the flesh, the Messiah. And his humanity is screaming, Whoa! I'm not really into that whole suffering bit. Right? And who could blame him? I mean, he's God. Why should he have to suffer? That's not fair. But like Job, Jesus grieved, but then submitted to his heavenly Father. Yet I want your will to be done, not mine. Can you imagine having that type of faith? Can you imagine facing the worst Satan can throw at you and still saying, I don't get it, God. But all I want is for your will to be done. I want you to be glorified no matter what. I mean, that's not much of a problem if someone steals your lunch out of the fridge at work. But what about when your child dies? Or when you're told it's terminal cancer? Or when you lose your job for no reason other than office politics? What about when your husband or your wife cheats on you? Are you willing to move from what is fair or not fair to how the Lord can be glorified through it? In the words of parents everywhere, life's not fair. 
God is good. Amen. Life's not fair. But Jesus has overcome the world, and nothing in this world will ever separate us from the love of our Father. No matter how bad things may be, God is more powerful. He is bigger than the thing that you say is unfair. Do you believe that today? Amen. Listen, church, do you actually believe it? Don't give me the church answer. Do you believe it deep down within yourself? Are you willing to swallow your pride and admit that maybe, just maybe, you don't know as much as God? Are you willing to give him that unfair thing in your life? Yes, what was done to you was wrong. What happened to your family is horrible. But no matter how horrible it was, it does not mean Jesus doesn't love you, nor does it mean God has abandoned you. So is he Lord? Church, this is a hard word. I would love for you all to hear this sermon and say, okie dokie, and then skip out the door. But as someone who has wrestled with fairness way too many times in my own life, I can honestly say this is not easy to do. It is not easy to fully surrender to him when you are angry and you are hurt. And so for some of you, this is going to take some time and maybe some serious counseling. But as someone who has made it to the other side, let me tell you this. Giving it all to Jesus is the best thing you can do. Look, life isn't fair. Life is going to hurt. Life is going to tick you off. But we don't worship our lives. We worship the way, the truth, and the life. What is it for you? What is that thing in your life that you have wrestled with because you don't think it's fair? It doesn't matter how big it is or how small it is. I just want you to name it today. It may be incredibly painful to think about, but it's time for you to start dealing with it. You may never like what happened to you in your life, but you can love what Jesus does with it. See, Jesus said in John 12, 25, those who love their life in this world will lose it. Those who care nothing for their life in this world will keep it for eternity. This is the definition of someone who never says that's not fair. Is that you? Is it? Be honest. But know that it can be. Today, you can uh, give your pain to God, and you need to give your pain to God. You need to give God your questions. You need to give God your anger. You need to give God your frustration. Your brokenness can remain just that, or it can become beautiful. That's up to you. Are you willing to surrender at all? This isn't in my sermon. I just feel led to share it. Uh, I don't want to talk about my own stuff too much, but you know, my brother was killed in 96 and we had um, CNN and all the local news at our house uh, interviewing my, my father because uh, not only my brother was killed, but our Latino pastor at our church was killed and another couple from our church was killed on that plane. And so they're interviewing my father and, and someone in the news asked my dad, how are you getting through this? I mean, unimaginable grief, loss of a child, friends, just unimaginable grief. How are you getting through this? 
And I remember, and a lot of people reminded me of this over the years, and my dad looked in the camera and said, we are Easter people. See, my dad and mom went through unimaginable grief. And they also realized they're Easter people. And out of death can come amazing life. It wasn't fair that my brother was killed. That's not fair. He had just come back to the Lord. He had surrendered his life to become a preacher, and then he was killed coming back from a mission trip. That's not fair. But we're Easter people. And out of that tragedy came amazing life in Venezuela and around the world. It's not fair, but God has used it to do unimaginable things. What is it for you? What is it for you? In a moment, I'm going to pray, and then we'll sing one more song. But here's what I want us to do. I want to lead you in a guided prayer. A prayer to help you begin letting go of your feelings of fairness and unfairness, and to help you surrender that to the Lord and accept his will for your life. But if after we pray, you need to continue in a time of prayer, I want you to know this space down front is for you. These pillows are for you to kneel on. If you can't kneel, you can stand down here. It's a place for you to come and just pour your heart out to Jesus, to talk to him about what you're feeling, to be honest and say, Lord, I am ticked off today. I am mad at you, God, but I don't want to be mad at you. To come have an honest conversation with your Heavenly Father. Talk about what you're feeling. Talk about what you're struggling with, and then to listen to him. Are you willing to ask him to use what was done to you to bring him glory? And so I'm going to lead you through this guided prayer. And then we'll stand and sing. If you want to continue praying, you can by coming forward. Everyone bow your heads and close your eyes. Repeat after me. Father God, you have made everything I see and you hold it all together. You sit enthroned in majesty in the heavens, but you rule my heart from within. I give up. I give you everything. I let go of the things on this earth that I have made more important than you. I place my trust in you and remove it from others. I know others will fail me, but I also know you will never you never will. Give us today all that we need. And forgive us because we have failed you. Help us to forgive those who have failed us. Show us how to trust in you. And lead us on your path of righteousness. Keep the evil one far from us. And remove his work so that your kingdom may grow. You are the only God most high. We praise you and thank you. In the name of your son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. I want to invite you to stand. And again, if you need to continue your prayer, if you need to continue to wrestle 
with the unfairness in your life, come forward. Uh, I will do my best for you. My father's here. I'm, I, I will volunteer him. He'll pray with you. But if you need to come and, and deal with stuff and, and, and have a conversation with Jesus, do that this morning. Don't leave here without beginning to deal with the unfairness in your life. Let's worship.